Welcome to the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a podcast about the life, theology, and practice of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle, and my guest today is Dr. Joel Looper. Dr. Looper holds a PhD from the University of Aberdeen. He's also adjunct faculty for Baylor University and the coordinator for Shalom Mission Communities. Dr. Looper, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm glad to have another Phil Ziegler student uh, here. I think you're the first. I think you're the first person that I've interviewed. That's. I don't think I'm going to be the last. Phil. Uh, <laughs> True. Phil is a, a, is. I don't have enough good things to say about Phil. Um, he, as, as we were saying just before we came on air, um, it seems like the guy has read everything when it comes to 20th century Protestant theology and remembers I've, it. Yes, I've, <laughs> I don't know that I've met anyone else like him. Um, yeah, what a guy. Um, I'm sure he's listening. Phil, I hope you're enjoying your sabbatical. Um, yeah, but this is, this is fun. I'm, I'm excited to, to just meet you. I loved your book, um, obviously. Thank I you. Mean, it's getting tons of praise from everyone, but it's, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Um, well, what, what led you to Aberdeen? Um, how did that start? Yeah, um, well... I um, I started reading Bonhoeffer. I'll, I'll start a ways back and kind of get a running start to Aberdeen, as it were. Sounds good. Um, I uh, met Barry Harvey, who is a Bonhoeffer scholar at Baylor University in Waco, Texas. Friend of um, the show. Yeah. And <laughs> in uh, 2011, 2012, and, and we started, you know, talking, reading books over beers at the uh, local pub and some other folks joined us and, um, you know, uh, we started reading Bonhoeffer and because Barry was working on taking hold of the reel at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I had not thought that I was going to do a PhD. I'd kind of ruled it out. In fact, the market's terrible. This is a stupid economic decision, right? Uh, among other things. And this feels great. Keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So, so I told myself, I'd actually told a former professor of mine, I guess I'm not going to do this. This is, you know. Um, and um, by 2015, I had this project in mind that I couldn't let go. I, I just, you know, mm-hmm. couldn't get it out of my head. Um, and uh, around that time, Barry um, put um, or emailed me, I think, yeah, uh, a copy of Phil's piece in Modern Theology called Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Ethics of God's Apocalypse. And um, I, was, I was struck by it. I thought this, um, you know, this is not, Meta- you know, Eric Metaxas, for one thing, um, this is uh, not the sort of um, boring American progressive Bonhoeffer that that I've come to see. You know, leaves out enormous chunks of uh, of his works. Um, you know, it really doesn't get at the core of who Bonhoeffer was. This uh, um, this is new. Uh, this is um, unlike anything to that point that I'd read. Mm-hmm. Um, so I applied with this, um, this project in mind, this proposal, um, which, uh, became Bonhoeffer's America. 
eventually. And um, so you can guess around the same time I'm reading Protestantism Without Reformation, the uh, 1939 essay that's um, sort of at the core of discussion about Bonhoeffer's time in America and Phil's essay at around the same time. Um, and so um, there was a, uh, a productive mix going on there. Um, so um, I uh, am a uh, resident of Waco, Texas, and that's, that's where Baylor University is. My wife is an immigration attorney in the area. And this was, you know, um, my, uh, it, my early adventures in Bonhoeffer or my early serious adventures in Bonhoeffer are occurring um, just before 2016, right? Um, so we start hearing Trump's rhetoric um, and uh, my wife and I get married in 2016, um, you know, just, uh, just after the election. And, um, you know, we're not gonna, not gonna move her office would close if, if we did. Um, and so I did the entire program at Aberdeen from Waco using Baylor's library, um, you know, meeting with Phil over Skype. I only went to Aberdeen twice, um, you know, spent a few weeks there each time. And I don't, I wouldn't recommend anybody do that, but you know, you and I, um, who are both in this situation are glad that Aberdeen has a program like this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and someone like Phil, um, can, you know, I guess I'm a testament to this, can guide you through the program, um, you know, from a distance. It is, uh, it's not ideal, but it's definitely possible. So, totally. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. Um, your book, as you mentioned, is entitled Bonhoeffer's America, A Land Without Reformation. Um, I guess, uh, is it just the the political aspect? What made you so interested in Bonhoeffer, specifically that American visit? I guess. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, probably the first thing that drew me to uh, to the American visit was uh, was Bonhoeffer. Offers early comment. This would have been in, I think, November 1930 when he wrote home that there was no theology here. That is here being in America. It's like, oh, that's <laughs> that's harsh. Um, and the criticisms only got worse from there. I mean, that, <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I'll talk more about them later on in the, in the show here, but um, he he was relentless <laughs> in, in criticizing American church life and American theology, um, you know, union theology in particular. Um, he didn't know fundamentalism to speak of, so he didn't, you know, spend a whole lot, a lot of time criticizing them. Um, did spend some, but, uh, you know, I, I thought to what degree are these criticisms valid? What, um, you know, were they valid then? Um, 
are they valid today? Yeah. And I came, I came to think over time that they, that they are um, at least more than any of us are going to be comfortable with, <laughs> including myself. Um, so that's great. Um, so before we jump into the heart of the book, uh, I was hoping that maybe we can orient the listener to, to Bonhoeffer's time in America for anyone who's maybe not familiar with that. So just the basic highlights. Uh, so when was he, when was he in America? Mm -hmm. Um, where did he go and on, on that trip and any other highlights or people that may have influenced him during that time? Yeah. Well, he got off the boat, um, New York Harbor in, uh, uh, September, 1930. Um, and initially he's pretty, uh, you know, he, he's pretty taken by New York, I think. Um, you know, he, he um, says something to the effect of it, it's so similar to home. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so he spent a lot of time in and around in New York and at Union, obviously, which is in Morningside Heights. And um, he, but he did travel quite a bit. He almost immediately uh, ends up in Philadelphia. And we also know that he took a trip down to Howard University in DC. So, um, you know, made sure to, uh, to spend some time there. Went to Cuba over Christmas. Um, he, this guy was serious about his traveling, let me yeah. tell you. Um, he was, <laughs> um, and he had the money to do it. Uh, that's a side note. Um, and then there's the famous road trip that he took in during at the, at the end of his second semester with uh, Paul Lehman, um, the American theologian who would later teach at Union and Harvard, um, and worth reading in his own right, actually. Erwin um, Suits, um, the, uh, the Swiss, uh, and uh, Jean Lasserre, the French pacifist, um, who actually. Um, book by uh, Lasserre um, that uh, is rather interesting. I can't, uh, uh, can't locate much in this office, <laughs> but um, yeah, we, I would bring that up in another, uh, in another context. So this group drives to Chicago, drops Lehman off. Um, that's a you know, 15 hour, not 15 hours, but um, good, you know, 11 hour drive, probably more back then before the interstates and um then they drive south drop suits off in new orleans he's got a ship it's going to take him back to new york and then they kind of get mixed up a little bit i think um, for those of you who know this area of the country you know that they if they're going to mexico which is their definite their destination they should have driven toward houston they didn't do this they drove up toward Dallas and then went south um, through Waco, Texas, which is where I'm sitting. We have a, a park here, um, one of the biggest uh, inner city parks in the country, Cameron Park. And there's a little postcard of Cameron Park in Charles Marsh's biography. Um, so uh, you can cool. thank Charles Marsh for uh, for digging that up. I, <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's a very valuable find. So then they drive to Laredo, Texas, which is west of here, and then down, take a train down to um, Mexico City. And 
Bonhoeffer knew some Spanish, right? He was, uh, he, he pastored in Spain and I think he probably enjoyed using his Spanish, hence the Cuba trip, hence this, uh, this trip. They then made their way back, um, across the South, up the Eastern seaboard. Um, and that I, this was really Bonhoeffer's major experience at the Jim Crow South. Um, so it's, uh, important, um, you know, important in that, in that respect. Um, although I wouldn't, wouldn't have the road trip detain us, um, so you asked for highlights from the year as a whole. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, that sounds like a, those are pretty big highlights. Yeah. So that's where he traveled. Um, highlights of the year. I would, you know, I wouldn't uh, talk about traveling. <laughs> I would talk about Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, where his uh, friend Frank Fisher took him. And this is where he heard the gospel preached in America, uh, perhaps for the first time. Um, and, uh, he heard it from Adam Clayton Powell Sr., who, um, you know, figures, uh, is an important, uh, figure in chapter five of Bonhoeffer's America. Um, quite a, quite a guy, um, uh, an impressive person. Um, and, uh, so this, um, uh, experience at Abyssinian, I think, influenced Bonhoeffer in a number of ways. It showed him um, the ways in which the gospel can speak to the oppressed. Hmm. Um, and so in, in any uh, recounting of this year, I think Abyssinian has to be, um, you know, has to take center stage or at least be uh, be very uh, prominent there's one um there's one bit of uh and bits the wrong word one piece of the puzzle that i think uh, has to be put before um Abyssinia. and that's of course his coursework um at, at union and so he took classes with reinhold neighbor um many Bonhoeffer scholars, many folks will, will talk about how Niebuhr and Bonhoeffer uh, are very similar. Um, they both emphasize responsibility for one thing. Um, and if you read the letters and the, um, you know, the class, uh, uh, class papers that Bonhoeffer wrote from that year, um, you know, just that material, you'll, you'll realize that uh, these two are very far apart. Um, and so um, there's Niebuhr. Um, and then you also have Eugene Lyman, um, a really uh, brilliant uh, philosopher of religion who uh, Bonhoeffer read William James and uh, um, John Dewey and a number of other folks. Um, and uh, Harry F. Ward. There are a number of uh, important figures here that uh, that were, were crucial, I think. Lastly, um, and I, I don't think that Bonhoeffer would have spoken of this as a highlight. It is in my book um, for reasons that will become apparent later on. He 
encountered in, in the Union Library the work of Thomas Cumming Hall, who was a historian and taught at Union until 1917 uh, you know, or so, um, when he got kicked out for being too pro-German. <laughs> um, and so Hall's book um, drew Bonhoeffer to, uh, to this historical thesis that American Protestantism developed very differently from the, especially the continental varieties of Protestantism because it had its, its roots in English nonconformity. Um, and so Hall's book, um, which is you know, out of print and basically never read, it's hard to get a hold of, um, is, uh, is really, <laughs> really extraordinary. Um, and it cuts against the very common thesis in that era that America's frontier mentality was what caused our unique brand of religion. Um, and Bonhoeffer, um, you know, for instance, H.R. Uh, Niebuhr would, would take that view. And Bonhoeffer, um, you know, to the degree that he took a side um, in that debate, um, he went with Hall. And I think it had some significant effects. His, his insight uh, into American Protestantism is even more valuable because he read that book. So. Wow. Um, so what, what are those insights um, from, from Hall's yeah. book that, that Bonhoeffer ran with? From, uh, from Hall's book. Yeah. Well, so John Wycliffe, um, he, uh, um, you know, this is an Oxford um, professor, uh, 14th century. And, um, you know, people think of Wycliffe as, as the guy who translated the Bible into English, sort of a Protestant hero, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, um, what we don't necessarily think about um, is the revolutionary political quality of Wycliffe's um, theology. So Wycliffe, um, and I'll leave aside uh, for a moment his uh, questions about the Eucharist, which don't figure in to this discussion necessarily. Um, Wycliffe um, really um, uh, rejected Rome in as strong a way as one could in the 14th century. <laughs> right. And so there was only one other power really uh, that he could look to, and that was the English throne, right? Um, and so um, the uh, folks who followed Wycliffe, um, these would become Lollards, um, that, that was their, uh, uh, the term that was a uh, like Anabaptist. It was a uh, it was a term used by their enemies. They you know they lolled, um, <laughs> uh, and so these folks said, "Well, where there we don't we don't need the church. You know, we don't need uh, you know bishops and you know um, abbots and you know, all these you know authority figures lording it over us." You know, wherever two or three are gathered, you know, mm -hmm. right? 
<laughs> and so, um, you know, what happens then? You have a proliferation of little sex. And uh, this eventually, um, I, I think it's, it's fairly clear, became um, at the Reformation, uh, the sort of dissenting nonconformist strand of um, English Protestantism. Um, now, Hall, and um, I think some more contemporary scholarship is useful here, which I, I do uh, provide in the book, in Bonhoeffer's America. Um, Hall uh, and, and others will tell us that um, very many of these nonconformists uh, and dissenters of various sorts ended up in America. Um, yeah, you had Puritans, um, but these were kind of the these, these were kind of upper crust folks, Puritans were. Um, and many of the, uh, um, the people on these ships from places like East Anglia, um, you know, they were, um, you know, they were much more Lollard-like, it seems. Um, astonishingly, so I'll, I'll skip over 150 years here and you can, you can find um, in America um, by the turn of the, yeah, by around the time Jonathan Edwards died, let's say, um, you could you could have among the Quakers the belief in reincarnation appearing in America. Um, hmm. That's not happening in Europe, <laughs> on, the, on the continent anyway. You had weird stuff happening in England, but you're not, you're not getting re reincarnation, right? Yeah. Um, and so we have, you know, Quakers, um, you know, we have Congregationalists and, and then the next generation, uh, we have uh, Mormons and Millerites and then uh, Baptists take over the South. Um, you know, there is a proliferation of a thousand and one different um, sects around America. And this way of thinking, um, comes back to, uh, for, for Hall and um, for Bonhoeffer, this idea that um, of the inner light of, you know, conscience or, you know, to use the Baptist terminology, soul competency, um, that uh, the individual is, is really competent before God, you know? We don't, we don't need the church to tell us what to do politically. Um, you know, and so this was, this was a, a new, in some ways, a new thing in, in the Christian tradition. We hadn't seen anything like this before. Um, you know, this splitting and splitting and splitting. Um, so I, I think Hall and, and Bonhoeffer are onto something there um i'll i'll end with the yeah. hall yeah. there yeah that's great um i guess my next question for you would be how does that relate to a land without reformation uh -huh. because in my mind i think the ref like that everything was pretty straight and narrow and then the reformation happened and then the billion sex yeah. <laughs> you know arguing about baptism and and the eucharist and a, a thousand other things and 
the carpet on the floor, uh, all, <laughs> all of it. Um, sure. So how is it a land without reformation, mm -hmm. I guess? According to Bonhoeffer, um, America is a land without reformation because we're, we're a land that doesn't, um, whose church, you know, at large, does not orient itself politically to the gospel. Hmm. I'm, I am uh, bringing a bunch of stuff together here, but that, I think, that sentence, I think, encapsulates it. We, you know, we are living a different politics. To uh, quote Tocqueville, who, um, you know, is the sort of framing, it's the framing device I use for this book, and, you know, maybe I'll talk about him more later, but we, uh, we have in America a democratic and republican religion, lowercase d and, and lowercase r. Right. Of course, nowadays we have a uh, capital D and capital R, you know, democratic and republican religion. Right. <laughs> but back then, we did not yet. <laughs> right. um, so for, for Tocqueville, um, as the framing device for the book, for those not familiar, who is that? And um, yeah. what led you to connect him to Bonhoeffer? Sure. So Tocqueville um, was a 19th century um, French, uh, I suppose, diplomat, um, aristocrat, and sort of a one of the early progenitors of social science. Um, he, he's difficult to, uh, to quite peg into one of our modern categories. Um, but it occurred to me at some point that Tocqueville arrived in America almost exactly a hundred years before Bonhoeffer. Hmm. Um, I thought that's kind of fun, you know, and it so just sort of clicked like, yeah, you know, let's, let's use um, this, uh, this Frenchman and this German coming to America and their observations. So Tocqueville's book, Democracy in America has been pretty important for a lot of Americans. Um, it's, you know, it's huge. Um, for one thing, lots of observations about early America, uh, or at least, well, about the early Republic in any case. And um, <clears throat> some of them are, are quite, you know, insightful. And so through the years, we have um, referenced Tocqueville. Uh, it, we still do. Almost, almost since it was published, <laughs> we've you know continued to to argue and talk about this guy's insights. It kind of held up a mirror, I, you know, I say in the book, to the Republic, um, and his insights were important because he was an outsider, right? Um, someone who was interested in Republicanism, uh, lowercase R, you know, who who uh, appreciated all of all of uh, this being. A, in post-revolutionary France. Um, and it was so many Americans could trust him in that way, but yet he was still an outsider. He wasn't one of us. Bonhoeffer provides something of the same thing for the American church, or he could if we'll let him. Um, and you know, he didn't write a book. We can wish that he did. Um, you know, I, I certainly do um, on America. Um, but he does have this essay, Protestantism Without Reformation, where he puts together um, some of these insights uh, into, into one place. And we also have um, really extraordinary 
letters and a, an end of year report from his time in America in 1930-31, where he was a, you know, an exchange student at Union. Um, and so with those materials, um, you know, those insights, they're often much less comfortable for the American church than Tocqueville's um, sometimes laudatory uh, you know, ways of speaking about America. Other times it's not so laudatory, but um, Bonhoeffer's, uh, you know, Bonhoeffer really only had one gear when it came to America. <laughs> and, and that was a, yeah, he, he was extremely critical. Um, so I've written down a quote here that I want to share with, uh, um, with our listeners that uh, talks a bit about that, that criticism. So this is from 1931 from his end of year report. In New York, they preach about virtually everything. Only one thing is not addressed or is addressed so rarely that I have as yet been unable to hear it. Namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cross, sin and forgiveness, death and life. <laughs> I mean, wow. So I, I uh, um, mentioned this quote at AAR a couple of years ago, and the response was just what I, you know, what you and I were just doing was laughter. And, you know, maybe it was uncomfortable laughter. I'm not sure. But, um, but I think I, I interpreted, you know, everybody is, is laughing and well, you know, Bonhoeffer is young and idealistic and he's super German, <laughs> just super, super German. And, you know, okay. I, yeah. Um, but I don't think that we should simply wave off a statement like this and the dozens of other statements that he makes like this from one of the 20th century's best theologians after he'd written two books that we still, we still value deeply. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to yeah. ask why he'd say this and, and if there's any truth in it. Um, to the, to the degree that we're we're trying to do theology for the church, which yeah, I think that's the only reason to do it. Mm -hmm. So um, there are a lot there are lots of other quotes um, you know uh, that I could bring out here. I've written down a few of them. Maybe I'll bring them out later. But yeah, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yeah, my laughter to that uh, is kind of like a tell us how you really feel, Bonhoeffer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very very blunt. Um, <laughs> wow. So you mentioned that, okay, so he, he, the Protestantism without Reformation, um, the, the gospel is he's not hearing it. Um, he, he obviously has a, seems to have a separate category for his time at Abyssinian where he, he hears it, but in general, he doesn't really hear it. Um, and he sees the, the sort of increasing sects throughout America as well through this uh, Hall narrative. Um, so that's where he is when he's there. But I'm wondering, did he make any sort of like uh, casting visions for the future? Like, where is this headed if, if this is a land that doesn't get a hold of the mm. gospel and doesn't uh, really witness to the word of God? Casting visions. Um, no, not really. Hmm. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. Um, he, uh, the, um, 
the best we get from him, I think, is negative commentary. And if we want, I think we can produce a positive vision. Um, a, I wouldn't say a program um, because uh, you know the the program is just the gospel. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I would just mean like if 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 that ship does not get turned around, is is there a, a, any I previews for where society is headed? Yeah. Especially American society. Well, um, he did say uh, quite openly that union was um, furthering the secularization of America. Hmm. Um, And actually, I think it's fair to say secularization in America was happening for Bonhoeffer, not really in society because you pews are full on Sunday, right? 1930, 1939. Um, They have been until rather recently, right? In our society. Um, And so, but what was happening was secularization was occurring inside the church. Um, That's what he was seeing. Mm -hmm. And so um, he didn't make any predictions about um, the outcome of, of that. Um, but I, you know, I think you know, we have to ask at some point, um, you know, if the gospel isn't the orienting principle of, you know, of what we're doing in church, um, you know, this worship stuff is expensive. You know, right. why not, why not stop it and start a nonprofit, you know? <laughs> um, you know, let's, let's get, you know, get rid of this stuff, get some useful people in here. Um, and, you know, or, um, you know, if, if we're going to baptize the nation, um, if we're going to wave American flags and, you know, try to, um, you know, pump people up to, you know, take back America, um, there are a lot better ways to do it. You know, there, there are a lot more direct ways to do it at any rate. Um, so yeah. why, uh, you know, why do it by talking about a guy who died on a cross? <laughs> you know? um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's great. Um, Cause I'm wondering, I'm, I'm thinking in my head that, and along these lines of secularization and where, where kind of the future is headed because he's at the end of his life, Bonhoeffer is in prison. He starts writing about the world coming of age yeah. um, and he deals pretty directly with, the topic of secularization. Um, so like, I'm wondering how that view of secularization um, and yeah, how that relates back to his thoughts in America when he sees the increasing secularization of union. Um, are they comparable or anything? Yeah. Um, I, I have thought about this um, at length and I think I'm only just beginning to come to an answer. Um, the, the same sort of language actually does occur in Protestantism without Reformation, um, you know. Uh, and, but um, I should begin here uh, by reminding listeners that in letters and papers, um, particularly from April 30th on, um, Bonhoeffer is asking, who is Jesus Christ for us today? Right. And uh, how can Christ be Lord of the religionless as well? So um, religion for Bonhoeffer 
um, is this internalized um, uh, metaphysical um, individualistic way of thinking. He actually defines it in, uh, in letters and papers. And this is very, very much like um, the phenomenon that we're seeing in America. American Christianity is, you know, religion par excellence <laughs> in that, as far as Bonhoeffer is concerned. So in 1939, he's still seeing tons of religion in America. He's beginning to see it ebb in certain respects in Germany um, by the time he's arrested. And, you know, he's, he's looking at this war, um, he's, he's looking at, uh, at Nazism and, and how it's changed Germany um, and the, uh, yeah, how even the confessing church is, you know, um, really struggling in a number of ways. That's a, that's a different topic. But um, the secularization, I think, is, is different in that regard. Most simply put, in one case, it's happening mostly outside the church in Germany, um, although not, not entirely, obviously, the German Christians could be held up as an example. But, you know, in America, secularization is uh, very largely happening inside the church. And not that there aren't principles um, or that's probably the wrong word, clues or uh, um, moments in letters and papers that could help us think through our problems in America. Um, but there is, there is a vast difference. Um, so Ralph Wood um, has been one of the uh, people that have been in this group with, uh, with Barry Harvey and, and, and I, and I've benefited from listening to Ralph on all sorts of subjects over the years. So he, he and Stanley Hauerwas some years back wrote that uh, something like America isn't a nation with the soul of a church. Rather, uh, the American church has the soul of a nation. Um, so the American church, in, in that respect, I think, wouldn't be prepared um, for the for a time that like, like what Bonhoeffer's talking about in letters and papers where, um, where they're losing their power, their political power, or, um, you know, the baptismal sermon for, uh, for his, uh, for, you know, Becca's son um, that he writes from prison, um, for the language, the Christian language losing its power. And we end up at a point where um, all, all we can do is pray and righteous action, you know. Um, so to the degree that Bonhoeffer is right about America, I, th I think we're not a church at this point. We certainly weren't then, but even now, I think it's clear. We're not a church that can deal well with living quietly outside of power and waiting for God. And so, um, you know, that's one thing that I hope people will take away from this material that Bonhoeffer wrote um, in 39 and in, uh, in 3031 and, and from Bonhoeffer's America Definitely. as a whole. So Bonhoeffer experiences America 90 years ago. 
Yeah. Um, what's, uh, I guess plenty of things have changed, uh, but plenty of things haven't. Um, so what can we learn from Bonhoeffer's reception of America? Is there anything, uh, any of Bonhoeffer's critiques that you think still stick um, that mm. we can learn from? <laughs> well, this, um, I'm not going to be able to avoid bringing up Eric Metaxas here, I think. Um, so uh, we couldn't, we couldn't, we couldn't make it through the podcast without doing it. <laughs> oh, we're talking about Eric Metaxas before the podcast and here he is again. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, when right after the last election, um, when Trump is, uh, you know, propagating his big lie um, about uh, the election being stolen from him, Metaxas gets on this bandwagon. And more than once during a, uh, a podcast, a few, you know, I think this was in late November, um, Metaxas said, this is everything. This is everything. And yeah, first of all, like um, even if in some other alternate universe this election had been stolen, it still wouldn't be everything. If you're if you're a Christian, um, that's that's the you know that's the wrong politics. These aren't the politics of the church, which is what we should be doing. And so Bonhoeffer saw very clearly that America 90 years ago, 80 years ago, was, was not living by the politics of the church. We weren't living um, scripturally, perhaps. We were living Americanly, you know? Um, but put, put differently, um, we were, uh, <laughs> this is, this is a, a great, uh, memorable, and, and terribly offensive phrase. Um, it, we were not living by genuine Christianity. That's a phrase that Bonhoeffer used in a lecture at Union. Um, he said, yeah, you, you Union students, if you really want to, uh, you know, uh, to be theologians, to do, you know, to be genuine Christians, <laughs> you know, and, then, and that means, of course, Paul, Augustine, Luther, Kierkegaard, Bart, you know, <laughs> um, and, and not whatever you're doing here. Um, that's, that's the idea, whatever this is. Um, and, and I, th you know, I think, obviously, I think there's a, there's a modicum of truth. And there's more than a modicum of truth to that. Um, not because uh, Lutheranism or the Reformation is the only way to do um, Christian politics or church politics, but because Americans are not doing church politics. We're doing democratic and Republican politics. Um, so what, what, he's, what he's effectively shown is on one hand um, that you know, people like Metaxas, evangelicals like Metaxas um, are not orienting themselves to the euangelion, to the, uh, to the gospel. Um, you know, if, uh, if they were, you know, where, where's the word in the life in, in evangelicalism today? How, how is that the orienting principle of, of, you know, of, of, of life? Where is it? Where are the fruits of the spirit and love for others? Right. Um, you know, it's, 
it's obvious when you start when you start looking that there's a problem and that Bonhoeffer was onto something. And I dare say that uh, progressives aren't really in a better situation. <laughs> um, he spent much more time criticizing progressives than he did the fundamentalists. And yeah, he didn't really know much about fundamentalism and probably didn't care. Um, he thought that progressivism was more worth dealing with. Um, but all you have to do is actually read what he wrote. And you think, these people, these progressives, and I think it's definitely true today too, are not orienting themselves toward the gospel. You know, the gospel is a, is a social program. Um, it is um, an aesthetic, right? Um, you know, or orthodoxy ends up being, for, for progressives, ends up being an aesthetic. You know, I'm progressive and I'm orthodox. Well, you know, um, that's not worth a whole heck of a lot, is it? <laughs> and, and so um, I, think, I think Bonhoeffer challenges us. He challenges me. Um, you know, I, I fall into some of these categories too, or, and I have, I have at different points in my life. Um, and I, th I think the question um, at the end of Bonhoeffer's America, um, for, for those who, who read it, um, and for anyone who reads what Bonhoeffer wrote during these years, is what are we going to do about it? Are we, you know, you know, we definitely need to pray um, and we need to you know, wait on the word, you know, um, but yeah. Wow. That was great. Thank you. Um, I have one last question for you. Uh, we'll keep you any longer, but uh, so I end every episode with a little game of desert Island. And uh, so the idea is trapped on a, de a desert Island and you're able to bring one book by Bonhoeffer and one book about Bonhoeffer secondary source could be a biography, but it could be anything uh, about his theology. Um, so oh, which man. two books would you take? <laughs> this is, uh, this is an impossible question. Um, so I think um, ethics or discipleship, definitely um, pro probably ethics. The, uh, yeah, when I was reading, when I was first reading ethics with Barry Harvey, um, you know, the, the Christus Wirklichkeit. Um, you know, there, there's uh, Christ reality. There, there isn't God in the world, Bonhoeffer says you know, in that, that first ethics manuscript. There's only one Christ reality. And nothing, I think, no, no theological work at any rate, since probably reading Bart's um, volume four of the Dogmatics has impacted me um, in quite that way, giving me such hope in God and in um, a vision, a, a vision of God's goodness, um, and and uh, power, um, and trustworthiness. Yeah, I, in 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 the end, it would probably be ethics. Though, if you ask me tomorrow, I might pick something different. <laughs> I might pick discipleship. Oh, um, yeah, um, and you know. The uh, uh, Betka's biography of, of Bonhoeffer, you know, I mean, the secondary source, you, you know, you got to pick that on, right. one, on one hand. But let, let's say that we kind of make that a um, an honorary uh, 
part of the the Dietrich Bonhoeffer works for a moment. Um, that then it gets yeah, isn't that? I mean, it's like right here, yep. Any if you if you're gonna get serious about Bonhoeffer, um, you know, I think and you got to read it. It's uh, um, and you, you would agree. I take it oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, so yeah, listeners, you what you want that biography? Um, but after that, yeah. yeah, yeah, it gets super tough. Um, so um, I would have to mention um, uh, Michael de Jong's Bonhoeffer's Perception of Luther. I think that's been an important recent book for a number of reasons. Um, Barry Harvey's Taking Hold of the Real is one that, you know, um, yeah, I, I think Barry, um, it's, you know, it's not a traditional exegetical uh, look at Bonhoeffer's work, but um, I think Barry is one of the best readers of texts that I've ever known. Um, Phil, Phil is one of the other uh, best that I've known. <laughs> um, but uh, so taking hold of the reels up there, um, Pengritz's Carl uh, uh, Bart um, theology of Bonhoeffer. Um, you know, some days I think I would even pick uh, Mike Mawson's recent book on Sanctorum Communio. I, I, I appreciated that so much. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's uh, very difficult. Um, you know, it's funny today. Today I'll pick Dijon. <laughs> you know what's funny? What's that? Uh, Barry Harvey, um, his choice was ethics and uh, Mike Mawson's book. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that figures. That figures. Yeah. So, and good company. Uh, yeah. Mike is a friend of the show as well. I, I just finished up a, a reading group with him. We're going, we were going through Act and Being, and it was tremendously helpful to read it with someone who knows what's actually going on in that book. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A- another fantastic reader. Um, so Great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Again, for the listeners, the book is Bonhoeffer's America. I don't know why I'm holding this up to the camera. It's just you and I that can see this. <laughs> uh, Bonhoeffer's America, A Land Without Reformation by Dr. Joel Looper. You can find it on Amazon or from uh, Baylor University Press um, the publishers. But yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. Be in touch soon, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonhoeffer Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app and it will help others find the show. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash bonhoeffer We have quite a few supporter benefits available on there. Uh, so please check those out. And speaking of the Patreon, Special thank you to the supporters of this show, Soren Jensen, Andrew Clark Howard, Arthur Houts, Greg Harbaugh, Chris Sunby, Wilco Ollies, Chris Baker, Diego Reeve, and Kevin Dykstra. And, of course, as always, a special thank you to you, the listener. I love doing these, and I look forward to them each month. So, thank you so much for listening.